I invite you to open your Bible with me to Titus chapter 2. And in the remaining time that we have together, my aim is to provide some clarity and some encouragement for moms on Mother's Day. And as you're finding the text, I started thinking about what we're doing here today and what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. And I, I want to share a concern before we get into the text. It's a pastoral concern. I want to share it with you, not because I'm getting old and grouchy, uh, but uh, because it's easy to go through life, and with all of its seasons and changes and ups and downs and busy pace and life on the run, just going and doing constantly, it's easy as we live to lose sight of the finish line. In other words, it's good from time to time to pause to be still and to think and to evaluate what we're doing and ask ourselves, why? Why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? And so my pastoral concern is related to our mission as a church, which is what? What is our mission as a church? I was going to do this. I was going to bring a pocket full of $5 bills probably good that I didn't do this due to time. And we're just going to start randomly calling on some people here and ask them to come forward. If you could recite the mission, I'd give you $5. Kind of glad I didn't. Well, I don't, I'm not sure I'd be giving a lot of $5 bills out. And that's the reason I did this. So what is the mission of this church related to our pastoral concern? Hillcrest Baptist Church exists to glorify God. How? Do you know? There's three words that this church has adopted to kind of be uh, little uh, reminders. How many of you remember hearing the words know, grow, and go? So we as a church exist to bring glory to God. How? By making disciples, helping them to know God, to grow in their faith, to grow in their relationship with God, to grow in relationship, community with each other, and then to go and to serve, and to live on mission for God. That's our mission. So here's the pastoral concern related to the mission. If that is our mission, if that's what God has called us to do, then what does a baby dedication have to do with that? Next Sunday morning, we're going to be recognizing a high school graduation ceremony. There's nothing in the Bible that says recognize for the church to to recognize high school graduates. So what does recognizing high school kids graduating from high school have to do with our mission? The week after that, we're going to be uh, ordinating, ordaining some new deacons in the service. What does deacon ordination have to do with our mission? I think... All of the things that we're doing have merit. They're all related. They're all good. And I think all of them have a place in the church. But here's my point. None of these things are ends in themselves. A baby dedication is not an end in itself. We don't do a baby dedication ceremony because it looks good and it provides nice pictures and it makes everyone feel warm and nice when you see these beautiful babies and these families. That's not why we, it's not an end in itself. That's not why we do that. We certainly don't do high school graduation ceremonies as a way to show off our graduates 
to impress others. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that even remotely comes close to telling us to do something like that. We don't do an ordination ceremony to draw attention to these men and their wives, to give them titles as if they're being rewarded moving up the church ladder. Baby dedications, celebrating Mother's Day, celebrating Father's Day, high school graduations, 4th of July, ordinations, all that we do, there's nothing wrong with any of that. I like it. I enjoy doing all of these things. And if you think about it, they're all internally focused. They're all focused on us. Nothing wrong with that, but it's important to understand the focus is not just to stay with ourselves. None of these things are ends in themselves. Rather, we need to make sure that we connect all of this in our minds to our mission. For example, the baby dedication is for the purpose of encouraging moms and dads to make disciples of their children. The high school graduation ceremony is to encourage 17 and 18-year-olds as they celebrate this rite of passage that they're now to put away childhood and childishness. And as they go out in the world, they're to remember that while they live in it, they're not to live of it. To encourage them as they make this rite of passage, now live for Christ, be on mission. The ordination ceremony that we'll go through together is to follow a biblical prescription of raising up servants that contribute to the health of the church body because if the body is healthy, healthy bodies, healthy churches are going to be better able to fulfill our mission. So everything, my concern is that we understand that everything that we're doing is related to the mission. None of this by itself is an end to itself. So does that make sense? It's a concern that we lose perspective about all of that. And so having said that, let me share a few words to moms and invite you to read with me Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. But as for you, Paul writing to Titus, young pastor, the pastor in the church on the island of Crete, Titus says for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Then the older women in the church, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That these older women in the church admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So I invite you to pray with me for a few moments. God, we thank you for mothers. Thank you for my mom and the precious gift to my life. Thank you for my wife who has given and given and served and sacrificed and counseled and prayed with all of her heart for our family. God, we thank you for moms who have a desire to serve and to build up and to bless their families. For moms who work and serve and provide care, who start early in the morning and keep serving till late in the night. 
God, we thank you for moms who pray and witness to their children and pray with their children, who faithfully study your word and teach their children who you are and what you want them to know from Scripture, who are passionate to make their children disciples. God, we thank you for moms who seek you for wisdom, who provide biblical warnings and counsel to their kids. Thank you for moms who strive to model the Lord Jesus Christ, whose words and actions are governed by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for moms who are fearless and find courage in you to do the hard things, to say the things that need to be said, who provide the necessary discipline, and all the while they're doing it from a heart of love. Lord, would you encourage mothers today? Would you do so, God, through your word? For those moms who have recently lost their moms, would you comfort them? For those mothers who've been touched with the pain and the heart-wrenching grief of losing a son or a daughter, would you comfort them with gospel hope? For those moms who are desperately wanting to become pregnant, would you make a way and in your perfect timing for we confess and believe that nothing is too hard for you. God, for those moms who are carrying new life inside them, would you provide protection in the womb, keeping moms and babies safe? God, would you come alongside those mothers who are interceding today for prodigal sons and wayward daughters that they would find their way back to you? Would you bolster their faith to continue praying with all importunity and persistence, claiming your promises by faith that you are faithful to complete every good work that you start? And God, we thank you for adopting us into your family. And thank you for those mothers who, who have been able to step into the stewardship roles of adopting sons and daughters for your glory, and for those moms who have been able to foster precious little lives for your sake. God, we pray that every mother would find that your good grace is sufficient for their lives, and we give you all praise for our mothers in the name of Jesus. Amen. From reading and thinking about this text, there is an additional pastoral concern here. The concern is that we as a church might fail, that we would fail to follow this prescription from the text. That we would fail to follow this prescription from the text. When is the last time you remember going to a doctor? either for a wellness check or because you were ill, sick, maybe not feeling well. And here's the drill. Sign in. Usually give them a card, insurance card. And then you sit in the waiting room and wait, and then you hear your name. Mr. Davis, you're called back. And as you go through the door, they'll usually... Uh, nurse, an assistant will, one of the first things, have you step up on some scales? You know that, right? 
Over the last few years, when I step on the scales, I quickly start trying to empty my pockets of my keys and cell phone and wallet and jacket. And then she slides that little weight over, and it seems like every year it goes farther and farther and farther over to the right when I want it to stay more and more over to the left. And they record your weight. Then you're usually escorted down a hallway, and she asks, takes you to your room, asks you a few questions. Why are you here today? And takes your temperature and your blood pressure and writes it all down and then leaves you in the room and you wait and look at all the pictures, read the charts and see things like skeletal frames and read about things that you normally don't read about in those offices. Then the door opens and the doc comes in and greets you. Hello, Mr. Davis. And he brings in a little laptop computer and pulls up your chart and sits down, begins to look back at your history, and he asks you, what's up? And you provide him or her with all of your symptoms, and eventually after listening and asking questions, sometimes they'll listen to you breathe right in the front, take a deep breath. And then you blow it out and you do it again. Take a deep breath and you blow it out. And then perhaps they... He or she starts to push around on you a little bit, feel of you. And then comes the most important part of the doctor visit, which is the diagnosis. The diagnosis. And the second most important of the, the visit is not the diagnosis, it's the prescription. And I would imagine there are some people who those who are wise and who really want to get better and recover, take that prescription and follow it to a T. Finish all of the doses, get it, they'll do everything that the prescription requires them to do following the doctor's orders. And then I would also imagine there are those who think they are doctors and once they're given the prescription, they disregard it altogether because they're very well trained in medical field and practice and the sciences of medicine. And so they just disregard it altogether or because they're so well trained as doctors decide to tweak it, relying upon their own medical expertise. And it's these last couple of categories of people that have to be very disappointing and frustrating to doctors. Doctors who provide good prescriptions only to discover that their patients disregard their counsel. And so back to the text. Paul appoints Titus, a young pastor, to stay on the island of Crete which from studying this text, there is some indication that when Paul, after they're visiting there and Titus is with him, and then as the apostle Paul leaves this island and leaves this church, he tells Titus to stay there, to begin serving in the pastoral role for that church there at Crete. And there's some indication that Titus is reluctant Perhaps he doesn't like Crete. Perhaps he doesn't like Cretans. He's away from home, away from family, and perhaps he doesn't want to be in Crete. And so there's some indication that Paul has to urge him to stay there, to remain there, and follow the prescription to provide pastoral leadership to that church. 
If you notice, if you have your Bible, continue to keep it open because we're going to work through this text. But if you go back over to the very first chapter, verse 5, Paul writes to him after he leaves and says to Titus, this is the reason, this is why I appointed you, this is why I wrote the prescription and assigned you to stay on this island of Crete and to pastor this church. And he says in verse 5, for this purpose, that you would set in order the things that are lacking in the church. Some of your translations may read, to amend what is defective in the church. And so the idea that even as Christian people, we're still sinful and there's the real possibility and likelihood that things in the church can get out of focus like going through ceremonies and not really understand how they're related to our mission. It's one example of many. The church perhaps can get out of focus and lose sight of the mission and begin focusing on ourselves and focusing on ceremonies. And the result is things in the church can flounder and drift. Did you know that it's estimated in the United States about 200 Protestant churches are closing every week here in our country? And we're not planning 200 churches a week. Churches are dying. Churches are closing their doors. Of the 45,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States, sister congregations like us, 80 to 85% are plateaued and in decline. They've become unhealthy and sick and they're dying. Why? Because they're losing sight of their mission. They've drifted from their mission and they're engaged and focused on themselves and their ceremonies and things, but they fail to understand how everything is connected to a church existing to bring glory to God through helping people to know God, to grow in Christ, and to serve, to go, to be on mission. They lose that. And so Paul says to Titus, don't let that happen. Pastor the church. Provide good leadership. And I would add, at the end of verse 5 of chapter 1, he prescribes, gives a little bit of the prescription on how to do it, something helpful. He says, I don't want you to try to do this all by yourself and to carry the whole load of the church by yourself. He says, appoint elders in the church. In other words, surround yourself with other brothers in Christ who know the word, who are apt to teach. And I would add also... The Bible is very clear that the church selects deacons, but elders are appointed. They're not selected by the church. They're appointed. Certainly the church would affirm them, but it spreads the load. And so here Titus is following this prescription, serving according to his orders, doing what he's been called, he's commanded to do. And then the text provides the prescription, provided to address... As we read, both men, young and old men, and also to address women, young and old women in the church. Men and women, both young and old. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, Titus says, make sure, first Titus, that your pastoral leadership is scriptural. Some Bibles say, speak according to sound doctrine. Let, let all of your prescriptions for the church be biblical, scriptural, and then for our setting this morning, I want to single out the portion of this prescription that applies to Mother's Day. What's the prescription? Well, first, consider the one who uh, provides the prescription. 
Certainly Paul is the one who's writing this to Titus. And yes, Titus is the pastor. He's the elder serving in the church, leading with other elders. But ultimately the provider of the prescription is God. God's word is always related to his will. God's will is always related to his word. God's will and God's word are hand in glove. They always fit together. God is the provider of this instruction, this prescription. And second, I would like for you to consider who is the prescription directed to? Well, for our context this morning, it's to the older women of the church and to the younger women of the church. Who are these older women in the church? Who is this referring to? Well, I would say, and certainly in 1 Timothy 5, he refers to some widows and he says and refers to some who are over the age of 60 and, and some might artificially put an age of 60 years. It's, it's got to be women over 60 and I don't think that's the real point of this. I think he's singling out the older women of the church and who are seasoned a little bit. Older women of the church who are experienced. They've lived life. They're, they're mature and they're older, seasoned, mature, experienced in what areas? First, in two areas. First, in their walk with Jesus, in their faith. Older women in the church who have had some years to study the scriptures and over the years have prayed and interceded for others and have seen God move in proportion to their prayers. These older women in the church who are respected and trusted, who are godly women and people admire in the church, they're, they're here in Hillcrest. There's many. But also older and experienced, not only in the scriptures and the word of God and prayer and faith and service, but also older and experienced as it pertains to family. They've been married. Many of them have been married a, a long time. They've given birth to children. They know what it's like to bring a little baby home and to breastfeed and to care and to change diapers and clean and feed and burp and diaper. And they've been through all of that and colic and sickness and messes and they've been through it. Sleepless nights who experienced and seasoned in having kids and raising kids and teaching kids and nurturing and raising their family. Older women who are mature and seasoned in their faith and relationship with God and who are experienced in family, been married a long time, have figured their husband out, patient, understand him, probably understand him better than he understands himself. And then notice in verse 5, some specifics are provided regarding these older women in character. He says these women in the church, these older women are reverent in behavior. And that word reverent is a, a word that is synonymous in the New Testament referring to priests who live holy lives who have good testimonies. He says they're not slanderers, these older women in the church. They're not malicious gossips. The word slanderer comes from a word diabolos, which is where we get the English word 
Diabolical. It doesn't sound very nice, does it? Diabolical. Carries the idea of slandering, making false accusations. And these older women are wise enough not to do that. It says not given to much wine. Um, Cretans drank a lot. So these older women in the church, they're not enslaved to alcohol, don't have any problem with alcohol. And he says teachers of good things. They're good instructors. They have the ability to communicate truth and do it in love. They communicate the word. And so the prescription is provided and directed to the older women in the church, primarily to them. And here is my pastoral concern. My concern is that this prescription will go unfilled. It's been written. It's been given to the church. My concern is it'll be disregarded, ignored. Nothing ever done with it. And women's ministries and churches turns into teas and I don't know. I'm saying all those things are bad, but women's ministry should be driven by Titus 2. Curriculum, everything is provided right here in the script. That's women's ministry for the church. Our concern is it'll just be ignored and disregarded. Specifically that these older, mature, seasoned, godly women, these women in the church, these members of the church who are respected and trusted and qualified for whatever reasons will ignore the prescription. My concern is they will fail to pull themselves together as a group of older women and work as a team and organize and plan and prepare and pray and promote and this prescription will go unfilled. You say, why, why do you have that concern? Because my experience has been that very few churches follow it. Very few churches follow God's word. Most churches ignore this prescription. And here's the result. Here's what happens when it's ignored. First, God is aware of it. Church is in disobedience. When the prescription is ignored and someone, several women, older women in the church are going to give an account for it, I believe. They're going to give account. And second... The younger women in the church, wives, young wives, young moms, both single women and married women, then are left without support, many of whom are struggling. And I want to clarify, there's nothing in the Bible that demands that all young women are to marry. Now, that may be the norm in the Scripture, but we need to be very careful as a church with things that we say to young single women in the church. I, I cringe literally cringe sometimes when I've heard some older people say some things to younger women in the church. Well, girl, what's the matter with you? How come you haven't found a man yet? Makes me cringe. Makes me sick to hear that. And part of the problem in many cases is there's not a, God, a lot of good, godly young men for prospects, which is a whole another subject for another day. Just don't ever say things like that to young single women, most probably who would want to be married. And when we say some things like that, it just conveys ignorance and insensitivity to what they may be feeling on the inside. 
It also would clarify that women refrain, it doesn't mean that women uh, refrain from working outside the home. Rather, uh, Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman works at home, outside the home. But the idea is that the priority is to be the home. That's the utmost priority. And if the older women are not following this prescription and discipling the young women, then homes and marriages and families and children suffer. This is God's prescription. If you think about it, the reality is young wives, young moms are carrying more weight, more responsibility today than ever before. Many most young moms, young women are working full-time or part-time outside the home dealing with pressure in the workplace, often in very stressful, detailed environments. And many women today still are not compensated equally as men for the same jobs. That's another subject for another day, which is horrible. And then on top of doing that, many of these young moms, these young Mothers, wives are trying to maintain some order in the home, and which means cleaning and organizing and planning menus and going to the grocery store and cooking and cleaning it all up and doing laundry and folding in it and putting it away and overseeing little kids being fed and clothed and clean and providing discipline and instruction and making sure the homework is done and getting them in bed and getting them bathed and getting them up in the mornings and making sure their teeth is br- are brushed and getting them off to school and they do it over and over and over again, day after day, week after week. And in the midst of all that, trying to figure out how to take care of themselves. Additionally, in many cases, are being forced to oversee home repairs and often being the ones trying to manage the finances, living with the stress of writing the checks, trying to pay the bills and make a budget work, and too many cases dealing with husbands who spend too much money on toys, new trucks and boats and golf and four-wheeler and ATB or whatever those things are called and hunting trips. And then when they do get home, don't help much, not involved, and who come home from work and plop down in their favorite chair and get their power wand and veg out in front of the television and oftentimes drink too much. And then have unrealistic expectations of their wives when it's time to go to bed. The reality is these young wives, these young moms are living in pressure cookers, often overwhelmed, often hurting, becoming angry, and then feeling guilty about their angry, anger, and in many cases are drowning in mental and emotional fatigue and wonder, what has happened to my life? How did I get here? And they keep it all inside. If they try to communicate it many times to their husband, some of their frustration, their husbands just go off on them and argue and criticize them and tell them everything they're not doing right on top of what they're already feeling. That's, that's a very real scenario. God has provided a prescription. And it's up to the older women in the church to fill it. The prescription is very specific. Third, these older women are to admonish, are to teach. And all of this means 
that these two groups, these older women and the younger women, are to get connected and to teach. Diaskalos is the Greek word, which means to minister the word for the purpose of building up and instructing and encouraging one another. And it's to include formal teaching from the Bible, but also informal teaching from example, flowing out of experience and flowing out of the relationship. Fourth, the content of what is to be taught is provided in the text. The curriculum is right there. You know, women get online, look for books, how to start a, bio, a women's ministry, and they'll read what this woman does and all these the, the curriculum is provided. It's right there. It says the curriculum is three things. First, help these young women to understand how to love their husbands. And that's not referring to this emotional, warm and fuzzy love, but rather help them to understand this determined, committed kind of love and devotion, this Ephesians 5 kind of love where their wives are commanded to love their husbands. You can't command feelings. This kind of teaching is learned. And I will tell you, this kind of instruction is not going to be picked up from the culture. How to love their husbands, how to love their kids. This is this selfless, sacrificial kind of training that is not optional. In most days, it's not, this kind of love for kids is not based on warm emotions. It too requires training and encouragement, instruction and preparation. And it comes through personal one-on-one support. He says also in verse 5, how to manage their homes and exercising common sense, being sensible, the idea there, pure, being chaste, reference to moral character, the idea is to adorn herself with godliness as First Peter describes, also being good and kind and gentle and considerate and thoughtful, all of those things, doing it all unto the Lord. I received a, a very sincere email this week from a young wife, a young mom in this church, and she's here this morning. And I was very thankful for the email because it affirmed in the email what I was already preparing to share with you this morning. And I would summarize the email by saying this young wife, this young mom is concernedly, genuinely concerned about raising godly kids, about being a godly wife, and and she was asking in the email, do you think there's any help available from the church? She even had a few ideas of how to get something like this started. She has a desire to do this and was just feeling a little overwhelmed on where to start, how to get this started. Hillcrest, the prescription is provided. It's provided. I want to close and introduce all of you to someone new that God has brought into our lives. Most of you know that my wife works from home, Mindy, and every morning when she gets up, she walks through the house and opens the mini blinds and gets her coffee and then goes to work. Several months ago, she, while she was sitting there looking out the window, she noticed some movement outside the window, and through the windows in the family room, she could see something moving around in the backyard and there was this cat. Do you have that picture? Yeah, that cat. Just, just keep the picture there for a few minutes. We've named her Tabby. 
That ought to tell you something. I'm not a cat guy, but she's kind of started growing on me. I think she's kind of pretty. Green eyes. And almost every day, Tabby will enter the backyard and she'll roam around a little bit. And Mindy began noticing that Tabby is a hunter and she'd watch her stalk her victims and then would pounce and strike and literally see, have seen her catch birds and little squirrels. And then watching what happens after that. And we discover that Tabby is feral. She's wild. She's completely alone, all alone, on her own. And if you get outside anywhere near her, she runs quickly away from you. And Minnie started reading on the internet about ferals, and she started reading this to me, and I was like, I don't want to hear that. That's depressing. Ferals have terrible lives. Because Tabby has no home, no support, no care. She's become wild and lives day to day just trying to survive. And about a month ago, Mindy and I were in the grocery store, and she said to me, she said, let's go down this aisle. I said, what do you want to go down that aisle for? That's the, that's the pet food aisle. And she said, well, let's, let's go down this aisle. And I was like, oh, and then it hit me. Oh, no. And sure enough, we bought a bunch of these cans of little friskers or something, you know, these little cans of, you know, salmon and chicken and beef, or, little friskies. Friskers, friskers, friskies, same thing. I don't know. And sure enough, just as I expected, Mindy has this huge heart and has gotten attached to this little feral cat that she watches every day and started feeding this cat. Tabby will come to the back door, sit there very patiently on the pad and look inside. And she'll wait patiently, and then Mindy will see her and open the door and go into the kitchen and get her a little can of Friskers and opens it and puts it on the plate and goes to the back door and sets it outside. And then that, when Mindy goes out, that cat takes off running, man. She gets away and hisses. You know what they do, that thing they do, you know? <laughs> and then hisses at her, you know? And then once Minnie gets inside, she'll watch, and then she'll go up, and then she... Very skittish and will slowly eat her food. Minnie starts talking to her. Hey, kitty, kitty, kitty. And, you know, trying to get her used to us being around. Well, story gets better. A few weeks ago, something changed. Evidently, Mrs. Tabby has been catting around because look at the next picture. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now we've really gotten attached. Don't tell anybody this, but I got up this morning about 6 a.m. and opened the blinds, and there she was. And I, oh, gosh. And opened the door, and I started talking. Hello, Miss Debbie. Debbie, Debbie, Debbie. I'll be back here in just a minute. And so I went in the kitchen, got a can of Friskies, and opened it up, put it on a plate. Here I am this morning talking to this little cat. But I've been thinking about that poor mama cat with all these little ones and left to herself. Kind of sad, isn't it? All alone trying to figure things out on her own to raise and care for these little kittens and has no home, no support. And I started wondering, now what kind of future does Tabby have? What kind of future do those little kittens have? And concluded, it's pretty bleak. 
They're going to suffer. And the longer they remain in that present condition, the more wild and lost they become, and it's less likely that they'll ever be found, ever be cared for, and ever have a better life. You say, well, what in the world does that have to do with this text in Mother's Day? I think it has a lot to do. Because I started wondering how many little young wives and young moms in this church are like Tabby, who feel alone and are lonely and are trying to figure things out, who have a desire for things to be better and different, but they don't have as much support as they would like to have and are struggling, living from day to day, wondering, how did my life get like this? How did I ever get in this kind of condition? And trying to figure out how can things be different and better? And I wonder how many are like that in Hillcrest Baptist Church, who, like Tabby, looked pretty beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, things are very different. And God, and God has a prescription. And the question for us is, will the prescription be filled? And so I want to close with this challenge to all the women of this church First, those of you who are a little older, not not calling you old, (laughs) but older, seasoned, mature, figured some things out, learned some things, gotten through it. How are you going to respond to this? Or is this intended for some other older woman? That's not for me. That's for some other older woman in the church, not me. And somehow you just kind of explain it away and deceive yourself into thinking that you're exempt. You're a follower of Jesus. You're older. You're experienced. God wants to use you. You have something to offer. And second, also to the young women of the church, I want to encourage you to very prayerfully and carefully swallow your pride and open up and be real. And be willing to accept the support and the help that I'm sure that is going to be given. I want to challenge you to lay down those unrealistic expectations to open up. Stop trying to pretend that you're the perfect wife, that you're the perfect mom, that you've got it all together, and take advantage of the help and support that God wants to provide. And grow in Christ in the process because I believe that something like this is going to happen, that some other women, young and old alike, are going to fill, are going to fill this prescription. I invite you to pray with me.